your story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan here to give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. This program is also a podcast, which is on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, Player FM, uh, and uh, many other locations that you folks are reposting our interviews to. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. We are also now on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews and uh, get to know our guest as well as myself a little bit more, maybe a little more personal in one sense. And we hope that you will go to the YouTube channel, Richard Dugan, tell me your story. Just look for the guy with a hat. That's all you got to do. And uh, we also hope that you will support us financially if uh, what we're doing resonates with you and you like what we're doing, you'd like to be a part of it. We'll take uh, whatever support we can get. We have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And also uh, a reminder of the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Go within, spend some time going inside self, getting to know who you are, listening to that still small voice, finding that peaceful, calm, quiet space that we all need from time to time, uh, regardless of what the times are, whether they're trying times or easy times. It's just nice to spend some quiet time with self. And it is really, really important that we get to know the most important person in our lives. And let me tell you, if your spouse, your partner, your parents, your children get upset about that, too bad. Because it's their most important person is them. They need to know who they are in order to understand who you are. So let them know that even though you are the most important person to you, and this is not egotism or narcissism, this is, um, I almost want to put it on the level of spiritual self-preservation. Because when we don't do that, we then start wondering who the heck we are, why are we here? And that's where you get those answers when you go within. So please uh, spend some time. Share the idea with family, friends, relatives, uh, the same, same thing. And I'll tell you what, we will go a long way as a society and a civilization. We very well could avoid what some people either predict or prophesy or think will happen, and that is the sixth mass extinction of man. Let's avoid that. Let's not do that this time, okay? Let's just... Let's just keep going and, and, and improving and moving upward and onward. I, I'm, I'm just excited about uh, the prospects. I'm very optimistic. I'm also excited about the prospects for our program today. Our guest uh, is uh, Dr. Dr. Rebecca Louisa Smith. She's the author of Born to Do It. I have to tell you, when I first heard that uh, or saw that title, uh, Rebecca, the 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 I'm sorry, but the song that came to mind, you've got to know what it is. Born to be wild. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Really nice to be here. What a great intro. Yeah, born to be wild. I like that. That's a really good <laughs> Well, the beautiful thing is, is that my understanding is under copyright rules and trademarks and so forth. You could have used that title as well if it were appropriate to do so. But born to do it, becoming the leader of a business niche, 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 
what have you. <laughs> Use whatever. powerful spiritual techniques uh, probably could still apply because in one sense, we need to be wild when it comes to uh, sometimes living out our life's purpose, pursuing our dreams, uh, if we want to go into business. And in a manner of speaking, I've heard it said that um, regardless of where you are in your life, whether you're at work or you're at home or in the park or in the store, having, you are in business, so to speak. I mean, that, that would be the term. Um, but to incorporate spiritual techniques almost seems contrary to the 21st century business model. I, let me back that up. No, to the 20th century business model, because the business model is changing and you're part of that change. That's right. That's absolutely. No, it is. I mean, that's a really good point, because one of the things the pandemic has taught us, that's everybody around the world, not just a certain country, you have to, you, you can't rely on anybody else but yourself when it comes to business, finance, etc. You can't rely on having a job for life. It's never a case of, you know, oh, I'm with this big corporate company, so, you know, always got work coming in, never, ever go down. Well, it might. You can't guarantee that. You don't know what's on behind the scenes. You don't run the company. You have to really, as the book tells you, is tap into what you're born to do and then do it and then look after it yourself and it will come the right, right abundance. You can't do a job you're not supposed to be doing, but also you can't rely on a big corporate company forever sustain you because that's no guarantee. Mm. Now, you dedicate this book to our best friend. Who might that be? And it's not who folks are thinking after what I said just a few moments ago. The universe, that is our best friend. Uh, it does support us 24 seven. Sometimes it might not feel like it with things that happen. I mean, I haven't even right now actually experiencing recently, but then you just know in the day that they are, the universe really is looking after you no matter what. And then you see it sometimes normally in hindsight, but sometimes when you quickly realize it, you're like, ah, yeah, this is supposed to happen for this reason. And you know, it's for the best and the good of all concern and what you want. So yeah, the universe is always there for us since we were born. It is extraordinary in that respect that uh, we, um, uh, who was it? I, I want to say, I think it was either Einstein, was Einstein, Hawking, or Schrodinger? I can't remember which one, who basically said there's only one, uh, there's one thing you have to remember at all times, and you have to keep repeating it to yourself, that the universe it's a friendly universe. Yes. And we're talking not just the cosmos, the macro or microcosmos. We're talking about interdimensional. We're talking about um, material, spiritual, ethereal, metaphysical, on all levels, in all places, at all times. And those last two are sort of irrelevant uh, on those other levels because there is no space and time, uh, you know in the spiritual world, from what I understand. I was even prompted not long ago to make a financial decision. I said, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. That's, that is contrary to what I'm trying to accomplish. But I acquiesced, I did it. And it turns out that even though it didn't help me in the short 
uh, in the uh, it didn't help me in the short term. It definitely helped me in the long term. Not that I, you know, made the right stock pick. That wasn't it. But it I I, I did something that avoided even more expenses. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and I looked back and I'm going, wow, thank you, thank you. I I I didn't see it at the time. Uh, at least I didn't want to see it. I did see it, but I didn't want to see that how it was going to turn out. Uh, but there it was. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. And you're right. I actually had a similar thing happening now. Um, it's a good story to tell in terms of the timing of things, but I was due to make my move to the USA. Um, so obviously I am British and I was based in the UK. And at the time, uh, it still is now, but I think it's going to be next year it changes. But the UK is a banned country to fly into the USA, which is mm-hmm. Trump. And the way to get there is to go to a country that isn't banned <clears throat> for two weeks to quarantine and then you fly in. I had all my documentation with me. I wasn't doing anything illegal, obviously. I'd done the rules and played it by the book. Everything was fine. But the people at LAX had a problem with it. And they, you know, they have their own terms sometimes there, but they, they, they said in California it's different somehow. I don't know how that came from, but it did. So it resulted in being detained searched 16 hours and deported back to Mexico. And I thought universe would never put me in a situation unless there was a reason. But maybe it's a case of, I look at it now, not yet to go there until things have changed in America with the president. Perhaps it probably is that, and also just a bit more settled for you to get there. And now, yeah, we've got, now we've got a different lawyer who is really gonna help to get everything, you know, when things calm down, sorted out to get it. You'll go there at the right time. And it's made me realize how much I like Mexico and I'm here until it does get sorted because this is where I need to be is definitely this part of the world, not in the UK anymore. That was confirmed to me during this. And when I made my decisions, and like you said about finances, I don't want to keep renting a place I'm going to be in. So I don't need to have that place anymore. So that's what I decided. And it just felt right. The guidance actually listening and tuning in and then reflecting and not just having anger in my head. And it really helped a lot because it was a scary experience. It was not pleasant. Yeah. You know, and that's what's interesting. It sounds like the two of us in our respective experiences, uh, <laughs> we, we certainly questioned it at first. All right. Which, you know, that's okay. You know, for the mind, the ego, the personality to question, because, you know, the uncertainties are obviously a little, they can be a little scary sometimes because we, we'd like to have some certainty. Um, but we both just decided, I'm going to go with the flow. I'm just going to lay back float on the river and just let the current, just let it carry me. Mm-hmm. I'll do my part, you know, uh, I've got a little tiller. I can kind of steer in the river from side to side, from bank to bank or stay in the center, what have you, but I'm just going to let the current carry me. But using spiritual practices in the context of, shall we say, traditional business, uh, how does that work? especially with, and, and I use this term very generically, <clears throat> the good old boy network, and I'm not speaking from a, a ma- masculine feminine context, but that's been the, but, but it's been the brains over brawn, uh, you know, money is power, information is power, all of these different, we'll call them patriarchal uh, aspects of business. And now I'm speaking specifically of business as, as we will, of course, and then also spread it out over the rest of our lives, the other parts of our lives. Um, that is, intuition is not going to be part of the process. Now, 
you'd hear that in, say, a uh, detective story. I had a hunch. Well, a hunch is your intuition. But they would never say intuition. They would say, I had a hunch, a gut feeling. Again, same different words, same thing. Yeah. How, How have you seen this kind of change starting to impact, affect, and transform existing um, businesses. And, I, and, I, and when I say existing businesses that maybe have been around for more than 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 75, 100 years, uh, you know, it's one thing to put out a commercial about your product or service and you've been around for 75 or 100 years and it looks like they're saying, yes, we're taking on the new ideas, which are old ideas. Uh, we're, we're really starting to get in tune with what's really going on on the planet and so on and so forth. When in fact, behind the scenes, they don't care. It's still about the bottom line. What have you seen? In terms of businesses, how they, and that using their gut instincts. So yeah, you're right. Is that the hunch is, is intuition, gut instinct, whatever. It does mean the same thing. I see a lot of businesses do that now. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I've worked with and who I've dealt with as colleagues, they all seem very much a case of following their sole purpose. And that's what it is that, that leads them to have the business that is what they're supposed to be doing and born to do. And when they follow that, they then know exactly what the audience, so what the customers want. They ask them the right questions and they then tell and make for them what they need to do, what they need to, um, uh, to, to, to offer because they speak to the right audience and then the people keep coming back as, as return clients. So those, are, those businesses that sustain for 50, 70, 100 years is because that leader and the CEO and the founder and the one controlling it all and, and running the whole show with their team is listening to his sole purpose. And that is what he's born to do, him, him or her is born, born to do, which makes that company sustain longevity. Mm. Um, you know, and I, th- I do think about some of the companies that have been around for a very long time. Uh, and I'd like to think as you, <clears throat> and I want to think as you uh, optimistically that they've been doing, they've been trying to stay in touch with their customers. I find it fascinating the companies who actually produce what have been determined to be harmful products continue to produce them. And basically, this is the just my thought. I don't know that this is necessarily their attitude or mentality or philosophy, but that is, so what if our product kills people? There are people being born every day, new customers. That's how they look at that's how they look at the the uh, the birth rate. They don't want to see the birth rate go down because that decreases their customer base. Exactly. I remember a politician. uh, I'm not going to name the politician, but the this particular uh, politician in our government uh, basically stated during one of the um, first decade of the 20s of the 21st century, he made the statement that you know we need to uh, we need to end abortion because our economic base is just we we need to fortify that with more people. And I'm going, you're kidding me. That's the reason you want to make abortions illegal mm-hmm. for economic reasons. And I thought, wow, uh, I'm not on board with that philosophy. No. no. And not even to get into that other issue. 
it seems as though we still though have companies that again it's still it is still the bottom line and in america i don't know if it's the same in the uk because i don't know the laws i don't know the necessarily the philosophy even though we've adopted some of those we even within our our founding documents you know we have uh, capitalism and free enterprise and um there was a question that's posed that was posed. I happened to be in the conversation that was posed to someone who wanted to open a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And the question was asked by this person, why do you want to open a restaurant? Now the person asking the question already had an answer for this person they were asking. And the person said, well, I have these recipes and I want to open it up to serve the public. Cause I know they really like this. And I mean, they just went on and on about that reason why they wanted to open the restaurant. The person asking the question said, wrong. You open a restaurant to make money. And I just thought, really? Yeah, you do on the one hand, but that can't be the, the main no. reason why you start a business. Why would an entrepreneur? And during the, now I don't know if the UK was affected the same as the US in 2008, nine during the economic, okay. Yeah, yeah it was. Lots of people lost their jobs there too, right? Loads of it. It was, it was really bad, one of the worst ever. How many of those people do you think hated the job they lost? Yeah, how many people hated the job that they lost? See, I think that in the United States, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs. And I'll bet you 99% of them hated the job they were doing because it was, hey, well, my dad and my mom did this and my grandfather and his father before him. My aunts and uncles worked at this factory, so on and so forth. So it's just, it, it's a family business. It's just what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Is that mm -hmm. what they wanted to do? So when these people lost their jobs, the big record breaker was the number of entrepreneurial businesses that sprang up. It was huge. Did that happen in the UK in 2009-10? It did. I mean, there was a surge in entrepreneurs and a lot more entrepreneur kind of community support groups when that happened. A lot of people lost their money in it as well. So it was quite sure. a thing, very risky thing to do. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was difficult in that respect. But when I when it hit, because I wasn't in, I was in the world of business later on after that. But when it did hit, I was very much like that was a sign intuitively to me was, and again my gut instinct now telling me and my intuition that you know it's important to be an entrepreneur and not rely on these big companies, but also to protect everything and ensure things because you know there were people who had in the UK when I was living there, um, you were allowed to put in your bank account if you had up to eighty five k, that would be insured, but anything more than that. A lot more, for example, anything more would not be insured and lose it. Some didn't have that insurance. They didn't put it into different accounts. So they didn't get it back. And that was money that they would want to use, but they it went because of what happened. And then no one saw it coming. It was like a real big, like, wow. And luckily, my parents had money elsewhere, so they were protected. Mm -hmm. People I know had money in other parts that were really worse hit. And then it just got, you know, nothing came from it. The question's been asked, and I kind of put this out there. I'm not asking you to answer it because I don't because I don't know that you're you're not an economist. But it's like when the stock market in the United States, when the stock market drops, like when it dropped during those times, the question is asked: Well, where did all that money go? Where did it yeah. go? Did it just disappear? Did it ever exist in the first place? Yep. And I was sharing this scenario of understanding of credit card companies. 
around the world. And I said, I told them, I said, look, I've got an understanding of how credit card companies work. First of all, there is no vault filled with the $5,000 credit line that you have. There is no money. There's actually zero dollars and cents that that company has that they allow you to borrow. The only real money that they have is when you pay back in payments or in full, what have you. That's the only time they have real money. And they have no real money for that $5,000 line of credit, but guess what they do have? They have insurance to cover the loss, which means that when the insurance company pays off a loss, now the credit card company has real money. So you're borrowing money that doesn't exist, but you're paying it back with money that does. And so the, and the, and the credit card companies, they lose nothing because they have the insurance to cover the losses. So whether you pay them back or not, and I'm not advocating either way, whether you should or shouldn't pay your credit cards. Uh, I would say if you started using it, that's your agreement to pay it back. You, you made that agreement and there's a, a whole aspect of integrity here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's the way the game is played right now. Are you seeing anything changing in that regard in terms of of helping the public? I mean, I've even talked with some of my uh, uh, of, I call them vendors uh, instead of, uh, uh, you know, what have you. And uh, I even call to just ask if they could do this or that or the other. Now, I go in with no expectation. I go in. I go in with them having already said no. OK. Mm-hmm. So they've said no, nothing's changed. So it's okay. I mean, you know, if they don't give me anything, then no big deal. But if they do, terrific. I made two phone calls in less than an hour and I managed to save over $500. Now that wasn't money that I was given, but it was uh, credits that were added to my account. That's good. That's amazing. That's so, a- and I went in, just like with this conversation with you, very you know, nicely, conversationally. Hey, yeah. I hope you're having a great day. I hope you're having a ha- good holiday. Da, 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 da. Very cordial, you know, very sincere, you know, because the person on the phone is not the one that made the rules. Exactly. You have to remember. What about the rulemaking within business these days? Uh, are you seeing, uh, how are you, if I, I, let me back that up. How are you? Sharing these ideas and these spiritual techniques what we're gonna, that we're going to get into here in a little bit. Uh, how do you do that with some of the big, I don't know what, Fortune 100, 500 companies, uh, even the entrepreneurs that are just starting? Because I would think that the same in the UK as the same in the US in the early uh, years of the, uh, of the Industrial Revolution at the turn of the 18th to the, or the 19th to the 20th, 20th centuries, entrepreneurs were immigrants who came to this country. They started little mom and pop shops that today are major global uh, corporations, you know? And um, so how are are you sharing these ideas with the the little people, if if I may use that term, and people? (laughs) So, yeah, the book is written in a way that is, excuse me, uh, through my story. And anybody could relate to that, both big people and little people. 
And I've had feedback from that kind of both that kind of clientele. And they've all been saying that it was the story that helped them really just to open up and, and feel like less alone and, and the confidence and the courage to do what they were born to do and what they want to do. And entrepreneurs do respond really well. Because entrepreneurs, I think, a little bit of a different level to say people that aren't quite in tune with what they want to do yet. So they're the ones that get it quite quickly. They're like, ah, yes, I can see how this would work in my business. And they would be open to doing it and they try it and they'd see if it worked. And more than likely it would do because it does do that for them. But they're quicker off the mark because they literally will overnight implement it. That's what entrepreneurs do. That's what I do. When I was, when I first started into this, in this whole world, I would always listen and follow it through to make it work. And I would test it and I would see it through to the end. I wouldn't give up halfway through. And I'd say, if it didn't work, it didn't work. I can learn from that something else that came from it. There's a story in the book that I mentioned about this is um, it's in chapter three and it's called like, you know, like the worst business mistake I did, ever did. So I remember when I first started my company up, um, I was finding solutions to their problems to get their films in festivals and how to, to go through the whole circuit. And what I also did was that there was also another, another problem to solve was that filmmakers wanted to get their films sold and you know, distributed by sales agents and, and sales companies. And I didn't have any contacts in that area, but I wanted to help because I knew that I probably could and although I did do, say, one or two deals, small deals, I was out of my depth. So I tried it and I failed, but it wasn't like a massive failure because a few years later, the solution came to that issue. So all the clients were saying to me, want to try and get a film sold after festivals? What do we do? And then I found a solution. So through me trying to do it myself, the long, hard way and deviating from my sole purpose and not doing what I was born to do, um, I then found a company who helped people get their film sales agent. You know, they do similar thing to me, but they find sales agents, not film festivals. And I was like, wow, it's the missing piece of my business infrastructure. So then Billy and his team come on. Then when I have a client that wants to get the film sold out of festivals, he does that for them because he's got all the contacts, all the knowledge, he knows about the contracts. And it's not them me doing it embarrassingly and failing. So that failure was like a massive, big, after realizing it, after doing that, and feeling so like a fraud, to actually, wow, now I know how to help them get someone else in and delegate that has all the contacts and the knowledge in that area that I have a different area of, uh, of expertise in. So it just worked that really well. So it, yeah, and that's, that's through having to go through the process and experience it and think you've not failed, you just found a different solution. It's one of the words I'm trying to eliminate from the vocabulary. Uh, the other one is success. Eliminate yeah. success and failure. They're, they're, neither of them are real because the process is about learning. Yes. Right? Yep. And um, one of the interesting things, I'm curious about this, when you start, especially with entrepreneurs, usually major corporations, large businesses with multiple employees and so forth, pretty much has a good idea of what tools are at their disposal. Not always, but most of the time, They've got enough people around who see what they've got available and off they go. But an entrepreneur, especially an individual, a sole proprietor, uh, doesn't always know what tools are in their toolbox. Uh, and, but at the same time, they may also think that they have certain tools that they don't have yet and they need to get. Mm -hmm. How do you get them to recognize uh, the... the um, Oh, I can't think of the word I was going to use now. How do you get them to recognize what they have and what they don't have and what they need in order to grow a business that is something they love doing, 
and that can support them and if it is their family and what have you, as well as provide a quality product or service to their community. A good example of that is a client of mine with his candle business. So I've known him for a while and we began working together when he said, I can't take it anymore. I'm doing this job, which I hate. I'm to go in nine to five. I dread a Sunday evening. I dread doing anything with regards to my company. I really hate it. With regards to this company, I hate it like the plague, but it pays the bills. I was like, right, you cannot live to pay the bills because that's not living life generally. And he said, well, I said to him, well, let's, let's go deep and think about what you really want to do. And then we can work from there. So he said to me, well, I love making candles, but as a hobby, I went, well, hang on, this hobby might be your career. I mean, let's look at the candles and they smelled divine. Like they were something else, aromatherapy oils, everything he did to work to make a candle just smell of like a really high-end brand. I was like, there's potential here. So corner your market. So one of the things I mentioned in the book is to find your niche. So you have to make sure it's the micro niche to really excel. So his obviously niche was candles. That's a massive niche. Everybody wants a candle, but which kind of clientele, you know? So this is like a spa treatment kind of candle, you know, romantic kind of intimate restaurants locally. So I said to him, right, so what you need is a team to do like Instagram, uh, feed an Instagram shop, and then to reach out to local businesses to build up your client base. And that's what happened. So now what he does full time is the candle business. So the candle business takes up all his time. He's got people working for him that deliver to local shops, local restaurants, to individuals, his Instagram shop does really well for locals. It's all over the world. From being just based in Berkshire in UK to now global, it's a really big enterprise, which I'm very proud of. And that other job he did is literally gone. It went from going to part-time to now nothing because the candle job takes up all his, all his time, which it should do because it's what he's doing and what he's born to do. Mm-hmm. And he looks so much healthier. Like he looked gray in the skin, baggy eyes, you know, doing like, you know, 12-hour days of just pushing out papers in an office that wasn't doing anything for his mind, body, soul, spirit, the whole lot, and using creativity. It was the candles that gave him that hope. And then he just, after doing that, he realized, no, I didn't know I could do this full time. So thank you for helping me understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've just really now, I'm just doing what I want to do. And he's making me part now to get lots of free candles, which is good. Um, you know, he, that's what it should be. And I said to him, no, how much do you feel? How different do you feel? And he went, I feel like I am myself, before I was hiding my real self and now I'm, you know, I've come alive and I'm, I'm funnier and I'm better to be around than being in a mood and having a low energy that was just not helping me. And it wasn't paying the bills that much. It couldn't give much profit just paying the bills. So we had nothing to really do. You know, it was being indoors and waiting to go to work the next day, but yeah. now actually living the life of his dreams. You know, and that's what's interesting too is, uh, I, and again, I don't know how this, how old this gentleman is and of course how much longer he'll be making these candles maybe another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Who knows? Who knows? He may have actually added years to his life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, yeah, because he just, he looked older. Um, and I was like, well, you, you know, you can't look like this all the time. So, you know, that's, that is, you can't, you can't live life in terms of, you know, looking older. I mean, you're, you're 28 and you look 15 years older because the job's draining you. But now he looks so much younger, even just like when he gets up in the morning, he's got the urge and the drive. He's drawn to doing that, which he should do when you kind of touch into your soul purpose. So it's amazing to see that. It really is. It's actually a breath of fresh air. I mean, and all routes involved. So there, there is a certain element here, if, if I may be so bold as to say, where in the case of this gentleman who was uh, not looking good as uh, uh, from your observation, 
uh, it is entirely possible that uh, through you, uh, you saved his life. Yeah, yes, I, yeah, you're right. In a way, he was literally saying that, you saved my life. Yeah. I couldn't see him in that spot anymore. And I was determined because I knew I had these tools when I wrote the book to do that. And then the book all came about not through him, but just through, um, through people reading my story. And, you know, saying you need to really write this and people to work with you on for your festival doctor company for film industry, but also for you to work one-to-one because you can really help them here. And I was just so happy for him. And it made me feel good that he was living his dream and his life purpose and doing what he should do. So it just feels very, it feels like a yeah, lifesaver is one thing, but also just seeing him, I think it's like giving birth to him in a way, isn't it? Because it's like, he's, he's now the person he was born to be. It is, you know, born to do it. That's what it is. But you put you with the sole purpose. This, that is what you're put on this earth to do. And it was there when you were born. You just have to tap into it. But it isn't the easiest thing to tap into. I mentioned it in the book, but it's not easy because it's not something you actually look for consciously. It's more something that you're, you know, it just happens like to me, it just happened to me without asking um, the universe for it. But the universe was putting me in the right direction then. And it knew that I was a good intention to do it. So I'll give you the story now as well on that topic of the birth thing. So I was studying for my PhD in Aberystwyth in Wales, University of Wales in UK. And I thought that's what I should be doing is the world of academia because people said I should. But it wasn't what I wanted, which I found out later. So when I got asked to co-produce a festival called the Abattoir Horror Festival, um, I was very excited for something else to do because I was writing every day in my home and not really doing, it's not particularly very social thing, a PhD, but it is with the people at at night for fun. But generally it's it's one-to-one, it's quite intense. So it was nice to do something a bit more, you know, uh, with other people. So um, when I was doing that, I saw that as like something to do on the side, but that was actually, I had this aha moment and I sat down and I realized how much I love working in the film industry and how much I love working in the film festival sector. I was like, oh my God, I feel like I am alive. I'm feeling like me. And I feel like I've got so much more energy than writing all the time, the PhD. So I was a bit like, oh, what's going on? So I felt really like it's a new epiphany here, but I thought maybe it's just something in phase. But no, it was something big. And that's when my company was born because I realized there was a gap in the market that needed to be filled. And that was the niche within the niche. As I say in my book, you know, the, the niche micro niche aspect that has a market, people need it. And I've now, people said it wouldn't work, but it does because my gut instinct told me to do it. Something I did as well was that I had to move to London because I couldn't get it started up in Wales to not go for any film industry. So then I um, took myself to London and people said, well, you know, big place, big city. I mean, it is. But I mean, I had the my gut instinct said you have to go there to to do it properly to launch it, and that's what I had to do. So since day one, I've done that. Worked hard ever since. Doctor Rebecca Louisa Smith is our guest here on the program. We're talking about Born to Do It. We're going to get into that as well. We certainly hope that you will go to her website. If I am correct, RebeccaLouisaSmith.com. That's correct. All right. I have my copy. Do you have yours, folks? I would highly recommend going to the website uh, and getting a copy and finding out more about Louis, uh, about uh, Rebecca and uh, I, I, just, just sort of a, a, a side note here. I have uh, interviewed a number of Rebecca's. You're the only one I've seen uh, who has a K and an H in her first name. That's right. R-E-B-E-K-A-H. Is there a reason? Did you do that on purpose or was that the way your parents uh, wrote it when they, when you were born? I think just to stand out, but also it, that's the German way. And I have a lot of connections in Germany. So I like to have the, the German heritage in me somewhere. So, yeah. Okay. Like that. 
Um, I want to talk about integrity. That is a, a, an issue here in the States that is huge. Um, first of all, I am not a fan of some of the television programs, and we're watching this one um, British uh, program. Okay, now if I can remember the name of it. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. It is about a uh, police officer. He actually ends up being an undercover officer, uh, but he's a police officer from London. He moves his family to Canada, to a small town, and um, uh, and their son is killed in a um, in a shooting. They they were trying to kill him, the police officer. Uh, and they end up killing his son, his five-year-old boy. And, of course, the, the whole story actually started back in London when this police officer, who was undercover for 10 years, apparently, uh, did something to some group of the mob, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and the story goes, and the drama's there and everything. And I'm just, I'm watching this thing initially. My wife is very into this kind of a program and I'm watching and we're, I don't know what season we're in now. Um, and I just sit here and I just cringe and I just think, yeah, you know, because at every turn, people are making decisions that just make the situation worse. Now I realize it's television. It, it's same thing in the movies, you know, it's like uh, if you remember the movie Batman versus Superman, if yep. they had done at the beginning of the movie what they did at the end of the last 15 minutes of the movie, stopped, talked about why they were upset with each other, well, there would have not been a movie and nobody would have gone to watch a 15-minute short. Yeah. <laughs> would have been boring to them. Um, but business tends, the, the stereotype of corporations primarily is that. They make decisions for the bottom line. They don't care about the public pipe. Uh, uh, for example, an oil company, which is part of this, this particular program, uh, the, 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 the corporation, the corporate heads, they don't care about what they're doing. Uh, they ended up uh, um, running a gas line through the, what they called a reserve as opposed to reservation, Indian reservation in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and it leaked that killed this woman's children. Carbon dioxide killed this woman's children. And a corporation, is, they're not going to take responsibility. You can't prove it. How are you going to prove that it was our pipeline and our gas and on and on and on? And unfortunately, that's the stereotype that exists when it comes to corporations. And I'm sure that there are in the UK as in the US, there have got to be corporations that are doing the right thing. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing... The, uh, the I'll say the game in terms of being concerned about their image, being concerned about this public that they serve, being concerned about the product or service that they provide, that it's safe. I mean, I get really annoyed when I hear recalls from uh, car manufacturers and how many years back it goes, two, three, four, five, six years worth of cars that are being recalled because of this, uh, this uh, defective parts. Like, where in the heck were your quality control people in those years? Yeah. And someone did tell me, they said, well, you kind of have to cut them some slack because they don't always know uh, what's going to happen to a part. Okay. Because sometimes it takes years of 
wear and tear to find the defect. You know, okay, I, I'll, I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. What about this aspect of, of uh, can we call it corruption in business that just, it does whatever it wants and it usually can get away with it because it has the money, the lawyers, and that you can't really sue in the United States. You can't sue a corporation uh, because it's been deemed a person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, and I know it's a big one, but, you know. I mean, it's, it's very different in the UK, and it's very different, obviously, in the USA, in terms of those laws, you know, being deemed a person with an entity. It's very, very, very confusing, but also very difficult. The way I kind of work around, I always think whenever things come up in the way, like an obstacle like that, or those kind of things, and also like Brexit in the UK, you know, when that was going on, that was all bonkers. Um, but when things like that happen, you just have to work around it. And you find a way where you can fit in within that little niche and find a way to work around those politics. For example, with Brexit, there was a lot of things happening. I mean, that's now trying to get some kind of deal or some kind of deal. It's not confirmed, but, you know, it's still talking. But there was a lot of problems. There's this whole thing where someone, it was back in like the middle of the whole discussions where someone said it's going to be really hard to import fruit from Spain or France because it's not going to be part of the, of Europe. you know, we're not part of Europe. So then everyone went mad and stocked up in the freezer with strawberries. So I don't see anything like lack. What I do when that, something like that happens is I think, no, there's going to be a solution around that. You can get um, strawberries in from Mexico, from USA, not just have to rely on, on, on Europe. And if it does get more expensive, you just find a way to find the best places that do it for the best deals and you work around the budgets, you know, yeah. in the world. And it's the same thing with stuff like this, with, you know, with, with law and stuff, you've got to think of it a way where it can be harmonious and good karma on both your side and their side, even if you might hate that person, like I hate that guy's LAX, I can't have that around me all the time. I have to release that and think it will get resolved in a different way and it will work out. It's just not the way that I might want to control or expect there'll be something else to come in instead and it will be fine and I'll get there. It's that kind of thing. If you have the, the grudge and the, um, that bad energy, you won't get anywhere and then you would lose everything. Well, not everything, but you know, you wouldn't get it the way you, you would expect and what you're wanting because you're, you're blocking things subconsciously. So it's always good just to sit and meditate and think, like, what am I blocking here? Like, I know there's something going on, but what is it? And the universe will tell you. I asked the universe yesterday a question. I said, uh, one of my cosmic orders, I said, you know, could you really tell the universe right now to make a decision to help me make a decision within two hours? And it did within like two minutes because it knew it just brought it up what I needed to do. So when you have that trust, you have the faith. You said something very important that I think we need to touch on here, both regarding business, but just as individuals. The attitude of lack. Yeah. I have found, and it was shown to me just recently, that the attitude of lack can show up in extremely subtle, subtle ways. We already know the extremes uh, during the pandemic here in the United States, and I'm sure it was that way in the UK. What was the one commodity that was the hardest thing to come by? Toilet paper. And that was just something else. It was bizarre because it was not a digestive. The COVID-19 was, is not a digestive or intestinal problem. It was respiratory. Yeah. You know? uh, and we had a situation here in the United States. And this was, I had to laugh because there was a guy who apparently bought nearly a pallet uh, of toilet paper from our local, uh, one of our big box stores called Costco. Right. And he wanted to return it and they wouldn't take it. 
for obviously for obvious reasons they wouldn't take it. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I just had to laugh, going, "See now, buddy, you're stuck with it. See how stupid that was, uh, you know." Anyway, and of course, we had a similar situation just recently, uh, as we were heading into December, we had a little a, sh- a small panic buy, but the stores had already implemented one package per customer. And so that seemed to quell that. Um, but you mentioned the attitude of lack and it comes in subtly. And one of the ways I had done some work for someone, I had sent them an invoice and I was waiting to receive a check and I really could have used it, you know, maybe yesterday, you know. Uh, and so I sent a text saying, hey, please let me know when it's ready. I'll even swing by and pick it up. Another day or two goes by and I was about to send another text and my wife kind of opened my eyes. She says, you do realize that even though, yes, you sent them an invoice and they haven't paid you yet, your persistence in asking them is an attitude of lack that you don't have enough. And I took a long, hard look at that. And she was right. That I already did what the individual and I had agreed upon. I'd done the work and then I'd submitted an invoice, period. And I communicate with this person at least once a week to produce additional uh, um, programming. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like they had forgotten. They knew. They had the invoice. What of it? What you know? So it was nothing more than my impatience than anything else. Yeah. So now, and most of the times I'm not that way. But for some reason, and maybe it was to raise that in my mind that this whole attitude of lack is a very subtle thing. Businesses, especially sole proprietorships or small companies, entrepreneurial ventures, can can get into that that attitude. Uh, Yes, there are bills to pay. Yes, you've got to have customers. And I know restaurants, especially these days, uh, you know, hospitality industry these days, they are hurting like crazy. And they're trying to find ways of surviving. I don't know how many restaurants and so forth have shut down in the UK. We've had thousands, thousands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they just, they can't sustain. I mean, I did, I did wonder, uh, looking at the entrepreneurial side of things, I read an article of people who managed to, you know, find other business ideas during the, during the pandemic, and they did manage to get a thriving business, which I, I thought were wonderful stories, and I really enjoyed reading them. But some of them did say, who didn't think outside the box, and this is what one of my things my book says, is, you know, is to really be that, you know, be that laser-focused aspect of your niche. So for example, with me, you know, I work in the film industry, but the area I work in is film distribution, and that micro-laser part of that is film festival distribution. So, for example, some clients of mine who have restaurants as well closed because they couldn't survive on just doing takeout. Because obviously this restaurant I was just referring to now, you would have to like book in advance, like a 10K table, you know, exclusive VIP and champagne. Can't do that takeaway. You know, they did manage to, you know, they obviously they, they, they did do loads of takeaways, but very different figures compared to an actual yeah. open restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's still open, but they're going to have to make some big changes because of what's happened. You know, it has had an effect on all restaurants. Sure. That's down to the industry. But it is that case of you've got to think outside the box again, as you were saying earlier when we first spoke in discussion. You've got to then find a way that, you know, what do the people need right now during the lockdown? How can you help? And what are the best prices? You've got to do it very creatively. I know that, that a lot of uh, uh, companies 
uh, restaurants and so forth. They've done that. They've, uh, there's a part of me that wants to get rid of the box. You know, you want to think outside of it. Let's just get rid of the box altogether. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, the thing that I thought of, uh, and I've shared this many, many times on this program, when all of this started back for us in March, uh, specifically of 2020, all I thought was the opportunities that lay ahead of us that we don't even know exist. And many people took advantage of them. But many people, as you have just described, uh, they could not get their heads out of the box. Uh, yeah. Because, well, no, this is the way it, it's done. And this is what we planned on and so forth. And, and um, you know, not, not like rules are made to be changed or broken, but plans are made to be changed. You know, you make a plan. You know, some people say, yeah, we plan, humans plan, and God laughs. Uh, but actually, uh, we plan, but plans need to be flexible. And in this world of uncertainty, and again, there are no certain times. I learned not too long ago from one of my other guests that, yes, we do live in uncertain times 100% of the time. Yes, it's absolutely. Degree, it's the degree of uncertainty that we're talking about. And somehow I think we need to begin the process of, of embracing, loving, and saying to change, bring it on. Let's go. Let me see what I can do. Let me see how I can adapt and adjust and just go with the flow. Going within and yeah. trusting that intuition, uh, would you say, is that the key more than anything else to learning how to go with the flow, to become part of the process and stop controlling the process? Yes, exactly. Um, no, it's extremely important um, with regards to um, uh, the, the gut instinct and trusting it and following it because you have to do that. Otherwise, um, if you don't do it, you miss out and, you, and your perception changes. When you trust the gut and you follow it, and it's that intuition we spoke about earlier, you then see things differently from a different point of view. And it becomes a lot more, you can see more opportunities. You can think outside the box and create better businesses and business ideas and solutions, you really can. So without a doubt, that's what I always say to people that I work with and my clients, everything. And I do that with every festival campaign that I work on for each client. They always think, well, what other angles has this film got? What other niches has the film got? And then take it from there. So yes, it's always thinking, when you see that, things change in your outlook and you see things differently and you hear things in the universe differently because it's tuning into you. What was the philosophy that you were raised on and how has that changed to today in the work that you do? I was raised, my, my family aren't the most spiritual. My mom is a little bit, but I wasn't raised from a spiritual family, put it that way. So it's very much like, you know, you have to work to earn the money. But now I see it as um, I just work to live. You know, it's not like I have to, you know, um, have to, learn, you know, work and work just to get by and all this kind of thing. I love working and that's part of my lifestyle. And, you know, I live to work, in other words, sorry. Um, it's never a case of doing a job just to like get by and to live like the other guy was doing, the previous client of mine. So that changed a lot when I tapped into my sole purpose. I was doing that when I was younger. That's what my kind of parents had the mentality of. But now it's very much like, no, no, no. I love doing this. This is what I thrive on. Mm -hmm. And I get success from that. I know that word success, but I get, you know, the funds from that and I do what I do and I get a lot from it than just money. Money's part of it, but it's not the whole behind or where people just work to get money and that's it. I mean, you have to think about your bottom line, I have to put that quite in, you know, in alignment, but 
but it, it's not it's not the guiding force you know it's all about when you know what what's the next film going to be what's the next film going to be and more than just what's the next money because that's very it's very hard to get out of that mindset sometimes you have to make sure you just don't keep thinking that but then it's okay when you think about your next film coming in the next client and not and you know, the next next piece of work to work on and not so much the um uh what's it not so much the case of um just just all about materialistic fight because that way you won't enjoy your life it's just about all about money no way does that work hmm. i i'm just excited about the prospects of people understanding and learning more about born to do it how do you know that you're born to do it i mean we come into this world and we have to figure out what it is what it is that we were born to do, or in another word, our life's purpose. How does one figure that one out? How does one figure out their life's purpose? So, yeah, that's, um, that's something that doesn't come, as I mentioned before, it's not a natural thing. But the main thing I say to my clients is when they figure out, you know, what am I supposed to be doing here on this earth? is this, is to think two things. Start, you know, gradually make notes. It might not come overnight, but make notes on this. But what do you wake up most drawn to? What also do you wake up to that you, what kind of hobby or craft or activity or, or something could you just do for hours and never get bored of and work straight through lunch and dinner? What is it that you would love to do as a job, but also what are your limitations about it? Do you think it's just a hobby? Because I can assure you, if you're looking deep inside, it probably isn't just a hobby, it's probably a career. So I was saying to think about them, you know, what it is it that you love doing and is there a market for that? And if there is, there's a business. Most of the time there is when you really deep, dig deep. Just think about what it is that you would, that you just could do forever and never get bored of and feel like you come alive in. That's the first steps. What about tapping into one's childhood experiences uh, of play? Um. Yes, well, that is also signs there because it could be something from childhood that you really love to do and you still like doing it now. You can't write that off. It's still probably very important. You know, so these things are very crucial to keep, uh, keep a tune on. Born to do it, become the leader of a business niche using powerful spiritual techniques, leadership qualities. If you're a sole proprietor, I suppose you could fire and rehire yourself over and over and over again. Yeah. Which sounds like very poor leadership on the one hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> depending and not on to yourself. Exactly. It's depending upon what you're firing yourself for each time. Um, but uh, what about that aspect of if you're going to have, even if it's a small entrepreneurial business, retail, that kind of thing, a storefront, you're going to have a number of people that are going to be working there. And I'm wondering if the term shouldn't be changed from working for you, even though you are the owner of, they're working with you. Always. It's always teamwork. The with you is your staff, your interns, it's you, your customers, and the universe. That's the teamwork. The universe is always there. That's always got a role in any person's company because it's helping you all the time. So, yeah, without a doubt. And it's a friendly universe, right? It's a very, very friendly universe. <laughs> Before, you're spot on about that. You know, universe never puts you in danger. It's not a bad thing at all. Universe has not got any backbone in its system or its body. Uh, it's our best friend, and it's there to give the best for us and the best solutions, to which we will love 
again, it, at the time you might think, what's going on? I might, well, I don't feel like I do. But then you realize that when you ask and co-create with it, it does work what you want because you have to you have to ask you know you have to ask um both consciously and unconsciously you have to think about what's coming up along the universe will deliver when you ask and it's always there for you whenever you need it 24 7. uh you are a doctor of philosophy i love it i absolutely love it we have to do a program just talking about philosophy yeah. one day because uh that's how i that's the term i use instead of say religion Yes. Because, I mean, there are, I don't know how many different philosophies around the world these days. There are, of course, the three or four main ones that most people think of, uh, or religions, as, as most people would think of them. Uh, but then again, we all, each of us, all eight billion of us, have a different philosophy. No two people have exactly the same philosophy. Not even identical twins have the same philosophy. Exactly. Uh, and, and I think that that, uh, you know, and that's quite an amazing thing, as well as an amazing feat that the universe mm. has created. Yes. Uh, in that even though, yes, as groups, we tend to not get along with other groups because of our divergent philosophies. But at least all 8 billion of us aren't fighting each other because of our 8 billion different philosophies. I mean, we'd get nothing done. We would never mm. grow. Understanding the team member in your business, uh, how do you go about doing that without crossing the all of those uh, uh, laid before us uh, uh, legal lines where you know I know you can't ask that you can't talk about that with a, an employer and employee so on and so forth. I mean, in the United States, it's just unbelievable the things you can't talk to or ask them about. So how, and again, I don't know if it's the same in the UK, let alone other parts of the world. How do you, how do you, uh, um, uh, I can't think of the word, the, the word is not coming to my mind, but how do you put together and create uh, an atmosphere of, uh, of unity within a company, small, um, large or small, um, where everybody is, for the most part, everybody's on the same page. That is um, listening to everybody. So it's um, having a case of, you know, being open to other people's ideas and everyone's included as part of that team. It's not just you in the selfish way. It's actually, you know, asking everybody else for what they think and their opinions and what we're doing. That is the way to really do it, um, is to really listen hard. And, you know, because you're not always right. You know, might have good intentions, but some things might not be quite where it needs to be. And other people can help you with that. Mm -hmm. So that's how I see it. That's how I see it is, you know, to take on board what they say and to really not, not disregard it, but write it down and think, well, that could be a really good point. You know, so that way everyone's included in the team and they feel mm -hmm. like they're part of it and thank them for that um, advice, thank them for that input. And also thank them, for, thank, them, thank, them, thank them for their work that they do to make your company what it is, because it is teamwork in the day. So it's the universe every day saying gratitude. Have you ever seen that television program, Undercover Boss? Yes. I, tears come to my eyes, especially yes. at the end of the program when the, the, the uh, uh, Undercover Boss is giving incredible support and gifts, if you will, to that employee. Uh, and, you know, and I'm thinking, why can't all companies, you know, do this? 
Uh, I, I've I've worked for uh, various radio stations and other companies where it'd be a little difficult for the employer to hide in that regard, <laughs> you know, yeah. to do yeah, that. Yeah. But at the same time, um, what are I'm curious just just off the top of your head, uh, are are regulations are there regulations regarding businesses that are. Uh, sometimes viewed as very constraining to business operations, because in the United States, and of course, four or five years ago, when the the then president uh, 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 was going to uh, just, you know, virtually wipe the slate clean of regulations to unencumber businesses so they could do the business they were in business to do. The first thought that came to me was, do you understand and know why regulations were brought into place in the first place? And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about this because I'm not a historian. Some of the first regulations had to do with child labor laws because they had children working in their, in their factories. Mm-hmm. And it was because companies refused to do the right thing. So government stepped in and said, you're going to do the right thing. And we're going to make sure because here's a law that says you have to do the right thing. See, if companies did the right thing, there would be no regulations. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, everyone's got their politics. You have to work around. And, you know, sometimes it's best to outsource to the countries. A lot of people in the UK outsource to India for uh, people to help them with their company infrastructure because it just helps with the budgets and having to do certain things remotely. I think the world of online works really, really well. And that's going to be here for a long time online. And I think festivals have seen how great online is and everyone's seen the benefits. I mean, I'm thinking of it now, how great it is here. So it's certainly a very, very advantageous thing without a doubt. Um, so yeah, so I think it's fine. Just again, you know, there's no, there's no limits. Might, sometimes you might feel there is, but there isn't any limits really. Yeah. You can go on everything. I've always believed there's always a workaround. And when Absolutely. I say that, I say there's always a workaround. And if there are regulations, there's workarounds, the regulations that are legal. Okay. There are other ways of doing things um, that they won't let you do going from point A to point B. Sometimes you'll have to go to point J and K and L to get back to point B, but it is possible. It just depends upon your level of creativity. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it is. It's mentioned before. It's, that having the being a creative entrepreneur, a creative business owner is crucial, not just now, but more so now. But then I think it's also a good thing because it really gives you that kick to really think outside the box and get more creative and get really excited about what you do and how you can solve different problems. Because obviously problems have changed now. It's all about with the business, it's about solving someone's problem. And you know, what I do is obviously solve the problems to get the film to festival, but now we've got other problems with COVID. It's more different sets of problems have come out from this with the normal ones being there already. So there's mm-hmm. more to do, but also more to ask. And more to solve, which is great. Well, we encourage people to continue to uh, not only think outside the box, as we've been using that term, but also go within uh, yes. to get the answers that you need. And, and again, you're going to own, the only answers you're going to get are the answers for you. You're not going to get answers for somebody else. They have to go uh, inside that booth, so to speak. I, I, for some reason, the voting booth came into mind. You know, <laughs> uh, but you're the only one who gets a- can get answers for you. You don't get answers for someone else, uh, and that's real important. Now, uh, a medium or an intuitive, they may be picking up on what you're thinking or feeling. That that's what that's a whole different that's a whole different scenario there. But from my perspective, 
they don't give you anything. They only confirm what you already know. That's how I view that. They only confirm what you already know. So um, keeping that in mind, Born to Do It is the title of the book, Doctor of Philosophy. We are going to have you back to talk about that. I, that would that uh, We did a whole uh, year-long series, uh, one a month in 2014 on mythology. And I wow. think that, that was an amazing, amazing uh, series yeah. of conversations. I I feel as though, though I don't have a PhD in anything, that I got my PhD to some degree in philosophy because I, I learned uh, about these different aspects of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, of um, uh, uh, mythology. Uh, but I learned that we could go on and on forever about mythology and the various yeah. types of myth. I didn't even know there was the mythology of war. I knew about sports and video games and science fiction and on and on. I never even considered the myths regarding war. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're spot on. Um, I'd love to come back and talk about that. It's one of my favorite things to talk about as well as my book and, and my passion. So, yeah. Fantastic. I, uh, let's, I will uh, we'll touch base on that um, as we move forward. The title of the book, once again, folks, is Born to Do It. The author is Dr. Rebecca Louisa Smith. And you want to go to her website, which we will be linked to, Rebecca, so that people can continue their evolutionary process and education and so forth. Find out more about you. Maybe even get in touch with you. Becoming the leader of a business niche using powerful spiritual techniques, which I'm going to leave to our guests, our, our host. Uh, let me try that one again. To leave to our listeners to pursue. Uh, by the way, I found it rather interesting and I'm not going to lose the page here. Chapter two, how to find your niche. That's a, that's a kind of along the lines of, uh, you know, finding your born to do it. Uh, yeah. But in that, in the book, I found this. I do not know why. Wow. Put in my book, folks, what I'm showing Rebecca is a Pokemon card. Wow. Any ideas? I would have to say no, but it must be there for a reason. So, Well, I'll, I will read the backside of it as well, but I may have to contact the PR firm and say, I found a Pokemon card in the book that you sent me. Can you tell me why? Yeah. <laughs> there are no accidents. There are, there are no coincidences. However, Rebecca, there are coincidences. Yes. Okay. So uh, I want to thank you so much for being with us here on the program thank and you. sharing your story and this time with us all the way from the UK. Yep. I also have three final questions that I want to ask you before I do. I need to let our listeners know this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations you are reposting. Thank you for doing that. If you like what we are doing, you'd like to be a part of it, and you'd like to support us financially, a PayPal and Patreon account are there for your security as well as ours. And we also encourage you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. And also go to RebeccaLuisaSmith.com to find out more about the work that she is doing. Born to Do It is the title of the book. The three final questions that I have for you that I ask every guest, you may have answered them during the program, but I do like to ask them directly. And the first is, 
Who is Rebecca Louisa Smith? Who am I? That's a really nice question. So um, I am a, a film uh, festival. Um, so again, I am a film festival strategist and I help my clients get their films seen in festivals around the world so they can win awards, um, get into the right festivals, recognition, and get their films seen by audiences around the world. And I'm a massive fan of spirituality. I live my whole life around spirituality, and me and the universe are a great team, and I'm very grateful for the divine guidance that they give me. That's the kind of answer to that one. (laughs) What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Um, I want to be the person who really inspires people and gives them the confidence to get their film seen or to really help them change their sole purpose when I mentor them and to live the life of their dreams. The way I work is that I help them develop different types of communication techniques that produce very strong results because they see things differently and they begin to really tune into who they want to be and what they are and what they want to do for their careers. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life purpose, my mission here on earth is to heal filmmakers and to heal those that need guidance regarding figuring out what it is that they should be doing with their lives and their careers. I'm here to create for my clients, um, find creative solutions to make them live their best life and to get the recognition that their film deserves on the festival circuit. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much again for joining us and sharing with us. And uh, we encourage people to pick up a copy of Born to Do It. It is available at RebeccaLuisaSmith.com. And uh, we certainly hope that uh, you folks will do that. And we thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world. That's right. We are on YouTube as well. Go to Richard Dugan. Tell me your story on mm-hmm. YouTube to watch these uh, interviews as well. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.